0: Living Word Fellowship Church, I'm going to miss you this Sunday, but for good reason. Me and my brother, my big bro, Iki Soma, will be partnering this week and doing a pulpit swap. We couldn't be more excited that Bayou City Fellowship and Living Word Fellowship are actually combining and making sure that we are the universal body of Christ. My brother Iki Soma has his undergraduate degree from Polytechnic, California Polytechnic State University. He also has his graduate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. And on top of that, he served with Dr. Tony Evans at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and was ordained in 1999. And they are still his mentor till today. He and his beautiful wife, Tara, have been married for 23 years and have two beautiful daughters. We couldn't be more excited to partner as we know, he's not only a pastor currently at Bayou City Fellowship, but he planted a church in San Antonio, a multi-ethnic church. And that's why me and him are partners to the day, even at Acts 2 Houston. We couldn't be more excited to introduce pastor Icky Soma to you. I pray that you will welcome him just like a living word welcome. Stand up to your feet and make sure that he feels the love that I feel every Sunday. We miss you, but again, for great reason. Give it up for Pastor Icky Soma.
1: All right. (laughs) How many of y'all know God has a sense of humor that he knows that very often uh, he will allow us to sing songs of prayers that we'll never pray. Y'all know that? that we'll sing songs that we'll never pray. So right now, when y'all were singing withholding nothing, y'all know what's gonna happen this week, right? God's gonna say to you, hey, I want you to give a little bit of extra to Rwanda University. And you're gonna say, oh God, I got these bills, I wanna go on this vacation. God's saying, I thought you said withholding nothing, right? So very often, God allows us to sing songs that we know we won't pray. Well, it is a joy to be uh, with you all uh, first, i first want to give thanks to god for this opportunity and also thank you to uh, dr cannings as well uh, we go back many years because of my connection with the evans family and working uh, with for dr evans um, and thank you living word as well uh, we were here a week ago on sunday so by city fellowship we have three campuses one in spring branch one in tomball and one in cyprus And we had our 10th anniversary worship gathering here with all three campuses represented. So thank you all for being such marvelous hosts last week. Y'all can give yourselves a hand for that. Thank you. How many of y'all know this? Uh, Not only does God uh, allow you to sing songs of prayers that you'll never pray, but Proverbs 16.9 says this, that we plan our way. But God orders our steps. Y'all know that? We plan our way. We make our plans. But God orders our steps. Y'all know that? So my wife and I, we've been married now 23 years. And at the time when we got married, uh, I was working for Dr. Evans. And we were planning on waiting to have kids until after I graduated from seminary. I was still about a year and a half, two years away from graduating from seminary. And y'all probably know the story. Two months after we were married, my wife is pregnant. And so before our first anniversary, we're parents of a beautiful baby girl. And so imagine that, having another maybe six months or so or seven months till you graduate. And my wife was working full-time at the time. She decided to take maternity leave, and then she would stay at home. And so we had to figure out this because Dr. Evans said to me, he said, you know what, Um, I'm planning on hiring you to be my full-time assistant once you graduate. And I still had about six months until graduation. And so we didn't know how we are going to make it on $1,000 a month. And I know... 23 years ago, $1,000 a month was probably more than it is today, but it still wasn't enough to provide for a family. So we, had to, we began to pray, saying, God, how would you have it that we would be able to have this family and keep going for the next six months until I get a full-time job? And this is what happened. Uh, on New Year's Day, my father-in-law called. My father-in-law is was here in Houston while he was alive, and he called his daughter, my wife, and so my father-in-law and my wife were catching up, and they're talking about how things are going with the new baby and Icky's job and seminary and things like that. And then finally he asked this question that I think any caring parent would ask is, how are y'all doing financially? How are y'all doing financially? I know you are, are newly married and you've got this child now. You didn't plan for it. You've got this, all these bills that are coming due now. How are y'all doing financially? And so my wife said, yeah, we have to figure out between now and May how we're going to make it. We've only got $1,000 a month. And So my father-in-law told this story. He said many years ago, he played basketball in North Texas and then Texas Animal Corpus Christi. He said, many years ago, I had graduated and, you know, I was a pretty good basketball player, but not good enough to make it professionally. And so I began to look for work. I interviewed for this very, uh, at this very large insurance company and went through all the usual things of the resume, the application, and go through all the interviews, ended up not getting the job. Well, then I interviewed for Spring Branch ISD and some other teaching jobs in the area, and I got a job at Spring Branch ISD, became a teacher, then eventually a principal. He did very well in the world of academics. But he said this, recently, now this is like 20 or 30 years later, recently, I got a letter in the mail from a law firm. And what happened was this, this large insurance company, that if I were to tell you the name of it, you would all know this insurance company. They discovered that 20, 30 years ago that they discriminated against African-Americans. And so a group of blacks filed a class action lawsuit against this insurance company, and they won. So along with this letter came a large check, my father-in-law, because he had been discriminated against. And so he said this to me, or to my wife. He said, this is what I plan to do. I'll write y'all a check right now so that y'all can make it between now and May. Amen? Amen. And so you see that God will use something as evil as racism and discrimination many years down the road for something beneficial. Amen? And y'all would say, you know what, that's a Romans 8.28 moment. God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Amen? And wouldn't you say that? Don't clap too hard, y'all. If you're in a Bicycle Fellowship, y'all don't have these curveballs. That's not what the good there is talking about. Because we look at the good from our very human, consumeristic, capitalistic perspective and think good means something beneficial for me. But Romans 8, the context is looking at our lives from God's perspective. And so if you turn to your neighbor, turn to someone around you and ask them this question, the title of the message is What's Good? What's Good? we'll discover in Romans 8 what's good. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. To those online as well, turn to Romans chapter 8. What does Romans 8:28 mean? What does this good? What is he what is God talking about? And as you turn to Romans chapter 8, let me uh, go through a very brief summary cuz I want to give you the context of Romans 8 and Romans 8:28. So in Romans chapter 1 through 3, this is the central theme of Romans. It's this word called righteousness. Write this down if you're taking notes. Righteousness. And righteousness simply means the ability to do God's will. The ability to do God's perfect will. And Romans chapter 1 through 3 tell us simply that none of us in here, regardless of our age or ethnicity, our background are able to do God's will. We all fall short of God's will perfect standard. That's Romans chapter 1 through 3. And this unrighteousness, this sin has infected us and our world. But here's the good news. Chapters 4 and 5 says that Jesus Christ lived a completely righteous life. He fulfilled the will of God perfectly. And if you and I will place our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we can now be declared righteous. We're now able to do the will of God because Jesus fulfilled it perfectly And we get to tap into him. That's chapters 4 and 5. Now here's what happens in chapter 6. Because now we're declared righteous, declared uh, innocent before God of our sin because of the finished work of Christ, here's the great temptation is to take that justification and even sanctification, growing in righteousness for granted. And so chapter 6 says, hey, don't take it for granted. Now that you're able to do God's will, do it. Now that you can walk with God, walk with him. Now that you can fulfill God's commands, do it, obey. But then in chapter 7, he talks about the challenges of walking in righteousness, the challenges of growing to be more Christ-like, the challenges of growing in our sanctification. And so chapter 8, the context is this, is sanctification, growing in our righteousness, growing in our ability to do God's will day after day after day, moment after moment after moment. That's the context of Romans chapter 8. Now here's the other subcontext. Is this in verse 18 of Romans 8. He says that we all suffer. We all go through trials and tribulation because we live in a broken world, a, a world stained by sin. We will all go through trouble and suffering. And because of that, this is what happens. He says that the whole of creation This planet groans under the weight of all this trouble and sin. It groans. Earthquakes and hurricanes and typhoons and all these disasters that we see. The creation groans. On top of that, he says later in chapter 8, he says we groan as well. When you and I go through difficult seasons of life, and perhaps you're there today, when we go through difficulties and challenges in marriage, in parenting, our health, when we experience microaggression, macroaggression, racism, when we experience those things, we too groan as well. When we go through trauma and illness, we groan. But here's what God does for us. God does not leave us alone. In verse 24 and 25, he says this, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he already sees? But if you hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly, for it. So he says this what God has given us is hope. He's given us hope. In the midst of troubles, he's given us hope to keep going. But on top of that, he gives us this, and this is what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at verses 26 through 30. What is the context of Romans 828? Verse 26. Now in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is what God does. God not only gives us hope in the midst of suffering, but he also gives us the Spirit. Here's point number one. In the midst of suffering, the the Spirit works in us. Romans 8. The section here is talking about how we grow in Christ-likeness, sanctification, growing in righteousness in two ways, progressively, day by day, but also permanently. One day we'll be with him forever in glorified bodies, in a glorified state. So he talks about this thing called sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ in two ways, progressively, day after day, but also permanently, one day when we're with him. And here he says the Holy Spirit lives inside of us believers and notice this um, he says in the same way the spirit also helps our weaknesses and the new American says we do not know what to pray the NIV says how to pray we get in situations and struggles and troubles in life and we say I even don't know how to pray I don't know what to pray I'm in such a bind and such a mess I don't know which way is up and which way is on I don't even know how to pray or even what to pray but here's the good news But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. That word intercedes occurs in 26 and in 27, and it's in the present tense, which means this. The Holy Spirit is constantly, even right now, but especially in your struggles and trials, He is interceding for you. What does interceding mean? It means to plead on behalf of somebody else. It means to make a case on behalf of somebody else. That's what the Spirit is constantly doing before God the Father. And this is the thing, he says, uh, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now here's two interpretations of this verse. One translation says this, one interpretation says this, that when you and I go through struggles in life, maybe you're in the sick bed in the hospital, and all you can do is groan and moan, you can't even get a prayer up. Like Google Translator, the Holy Spirit takes that moaning, that frustration, and he turns that groaning now into something that God the Father understands. I don't think that's what the text is saying. Because he says, because of suffering and sin, creation groans. You and I groan, amen. But here I believe even the spirit groans. He sees the weight and the burden of the struggles and trials in life. And what he does because of that, he does not leave us alone. He is constantly making intercession for us with God. Now here's the thing. I don't know about you. Like I mentioned, sometimes God has to trick us to sing songs, and think prayers that we'll never pray. But this is what the Holy Spirit does. Because we don't know what to pray and how to pray, He always prays according to the will of God. Why is He able to do that? Because He's God. And I don't know the mischief, how all that works, but He's constantly before the Father, praying and interceding on our behalf. And especially when we're going through difficult seasons in life. Isn't that good news, anybody in here? So you may not have a praying grandmother, a praying pastor, somebody who prays for you, but God the Holy Spirit is constantly making intercession for you. Right now, whatever you're facing, you know the Holy Spirit in a perfect prayer is praying for you. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, I'm one of the chaplains for the Houston Rockets, and it's been a a weird kind of last year and a half, two years. I'm going into my seventh season coming up but really feels like my fifth fifth season because we missed all of last year and most of the second half of the year before. And so um, I think it was like March 8th. I think I was supposed to give chapel, do chapels, like the Rockets and Blazers, I think. I have my notes already, and it's like March 8th. That's a Thursday. Well, on March 6th, that Tuesday, is when the NBA announced that we're shutting everything down. Because of COVID, we're shutting everything down. No more chapels, no more things. We're going to move into a bubble Nothing's going to happen. They shut everything down. And obviously all the chaplains are frustrated because these relationships that we've built with coaches and players are now going to be cut off. We can maybe every now and then text a player, call a player, but really having that face-to-face interaction was now being cut. But you know what? I didn't really fret. I didn't really trip over that because this is what I learned. Two years before that in 2019, the NBA sent all the NBA chaplains to Charlotte, North Carolina, for the All-Star Game. And so they put us up in this really nice hotel, and there were some former players staying there, all these uh, elaborate lunches and breakfast meals with players and former players and coaches. We went to the All-Star Game, the dunk contest, three-point contest. It was this really great time of being with other chaplains and doing uh, life together. But here's why the NBA paid for us to be there. They didn't pay for us to be there to enjoy all the festivities of the All-Star Game. They didn't pay for us to enjoy these meals Why we were there was this, training. We were there to be trained because the NBA wanted us to be more effective team chaplains. And so a guy named Robert Taylor, who many of you probably have never heard his name. Robert Taylor is a senior vice president for player development. And he gave us some tips on how we can minister to players and their coaches and their wives and girlfriends and all those types of things. And we were taking notes copiously. But this is what he said. This is what he said. If you ever feel like The NBA has forgotten about you. If you ever have questions, if you are a valuable part of the NBA life, don't worry because you have an intercessor in the central office, me. Greg Taylor is a lawyer by trade, and he said this, I am there constantly in the uh, office of Adam Silver, the commissioner. I'm there with all the other vice presidents and presidents, and I am constantly making intercession on your behalf. And so when Adam Silver says, I'm concerned about the mental health of the players. We're having more and more incidents about the mental health of players. I will be there first thing to say, you know what, I can advocate. I can be an intercessor and say, we need to get the chaplains involved. You know what, when Adam Silver says, I'm concerned about the marriages and family lives of some of our players and coaches, Robert Taylor says, you know what, we need to get the chaplains involved. He says, don't you ever worry about what's going on in the central office if you have somebody who's a mediator, intercessor, an advocate for you because that is what I am. And here's the good news, y'all, that in the Godhead, in the Holy Trinity, we have an intercessor. Whenever you are saying, I don't know what's going on with my life, I don't know if I can make it another day, you have the Holy Spirit who's constantly making intercession for you with the will of God. I don't know who need to hear that, but you may not have somebody on earth who's praying for you, but the Holy Spirit, in the perfect will of God, is constantly, it's in the present tense both times, there's no time stamp, right now the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf, especially when you're suffering, and some of you are saying, man, this sermon is pretty bad, you're suffering right now, but the Holy Spirit's praying for you right now. So the Holy Spirit in the midst of suffering works in us. He works in us and he prays and he intercedes. He appeals on behalf of according to the will of God. Now here's the verse that we all have been waiting for, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things. Now if you were to put a period there, we would simply go crazy because we would look at all the evil in our world, all of the mess that we go through, all the brokenness we experience and to think a holy and perfect and loving god would cause all these things not so he says and we know that god causes all things to work together for good in verse 28 the beginning and we know and we know you can write this in your notes ecclesiastes 3:11 says this god has placed eternity in our hearts god has placed eternity in our hearts And that's why we know, we intuitively know, spiritually speaking, because of what God is doing in our hearts, that when we go through difficult seasons in life, don't put a period, put a comma, because it's not the end of the story. We know that this life that we live is not the end of the story. That in Jesus Christ, we now have eternal life. And so he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Here are the two qualifiers. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Here's point number two. In the midst of suffering, the Father works on us. This is a Trinitarian formula. The Spirit works in us, and the Father now works on us. He causes all things in our lives. And we see the plural we, not just individually, but we as a church, as living word fellowship, as the body of Christ. God causes all things to work together for the good of this church, of the individual believer. So in the midst of suffering, the Father works on us. And like I mentioned, that word um, good, what does it mean? I give the context, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Here's the good. From God's perspective, verses 28, 29, and 30 are looking at our lives from God's perspective. The good is, to answer the question, what's good, is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To become more like Jesus Christ. That's the good that's being talked about. Because here's something my mentor told me. My mentor says, anytime you have a theology, that theology has to work for every generation, every nation, every people group, every believer, everywhere. It just can't work in a upper class or middle class community. It has to work for everybody, everywhere. Because right now, there are believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are called according to God's purpose in Afghanistan, who are having church in a back room out of fear of being put to death, out of fear of going to jail. And I don't know about you, but in my de- uh, definition, that's not good. But you know what? The suffering and the persecution they go through will bring about more Christ likeness in their lives. It's true for them and it's also true for us. We don't like suffering, we don't like trials. But it's going to bring more Christ-likeness and develop it in us. I got one amen. Thank you for that amen. So he says, work together, work together. That word is synergist, which we get the English word synergy. Synergy simply means that the sum of everything is greater than the parts So God is constantly working, and that word, work, He's constantly working. It's also in the present. God's always working on you, allowing things, bad things and hard things and even good things, the blessings, He's allowing all those things or doing all those things synergistically so that the sum is greater than the part. So instead of being 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 8, it's 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 equals 16. He's doing these things to develop Jesus Christ in you so that you will grow in your relationship with him, that you'll draw near to him, but also that you will look more like Jesus, that you'll love more like Jesus, that you'll sacrifice more like Jesus. Now, here's the good part of that. Can anybody say amen to this if you're married? If you're married today, do you think that as you grow to become more like Jesus Christ, that when you love your wife, when you love your husband like Jesus loves them, that will be a good thing. Anybody think that's a good thing? Amen? For those of you who are not disciplined and focused, anybody like that? If you become more like Jesus Christ and become more disciplined and focused, do you think that's a good thing? Amen? Right? If you w- would love to be more sacrificial and serving and serve and give and you would become more like Jesus in that sense, wouldn't that be a good thing as well? Amen? And so he says here, the good is being conform, sum morphase. The word morphase, we get the English word morph, to form or to shape. Sum means together, to shape together. God is constantly shaping you together with Jesus Christ, making you more like him. So any time you hear the word like uh, transform or or morpheus or morph, reminds you that God is now forming you in that. And why does he do that? So that he would be the firstborn. Verse 29 at the end. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that's the good. When you ask the question, what's good? The good is, Romans eight twenty-eight is being conformed, being shaped and formed day after day, event after event, microaggression after microaggression, to become more like Jesus Christ. Because God's grand plan that's talked about, those who love God, those who've been called, who are now in relationship with Him, and those who are now called according to His purpose. And this called according to His purpose is not missions or pastoring or working as a doctor. It's this plan in verse 29 and 30 that little Jesus will be running around everywhere that we would be shaped and formed like Jesus. Here's uh, two quotes from two Bible scholars. The Father is ever at work to reproduce the moral image of Christ in them, in us. All that now comes into their lives, he uses for their good to further that glorious goal. His aim for them now is not to make them happy, materially prosperous or famous, but to make them Christ-like. The good is what is good from God's perspective. And in view of verses 18 through 27, conformity to the Son of God is particularly prominent. So that's what the good is. Has anybody in here ever been to the Washington Mall in Washington, D.C.? Washington Mall. Have you seen the uh, Stone of Hope, the big statue of Dr. Martin Luther King? Have you all seen that? Anybody seen that before? Out of the mountain of despair comes the stone of hope, and there is Dr. King with his arms crossed. Does anybody know the story of that large, 90-foot-tall statue, that granite statue? Well, originally, when they were considering building this monument, they approached artists from around the world and said, we are about to build a 90-foot-tall granite statue of Dr. Martin Luther King on the Washington Mall. They asked artists from around the world to send in their best, and from them they chose who would carve out and chisel this large statue. And here's the thing that happened. Li Yi Jin, a Chinese artist, was chosen to sculpt this large statue. And the question arose, could you not find an African-American artist that could chisel and sculpt this? And yet they chose Li Yi Jin, a Chinese artist. And this is what he did. Li Jin, thousands of miles away in, in China, 159 granite pieces. Granite stones. He had 159 granite stones. But he also had this. If you've seen the picture, Bob Fitch, the world-famous photographer, took a picture of Dr. King standing at his desk. And if you remember it, there's a picture of Mahatma Gandhi in the background with his arms crossed. He took that picture, and this is what he began to do. He took the pieces of granite and began to chisel away. Kink, 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 kink. He would look at the king, and he began begin to chisel. Kink, 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 kink. He would look at Dr. King, and he would begin to chisel away. He would shape each of those pieces of rock, that granite rock, into Dr. King. And I don't know, Dr. Canning, so my cosmology is right, but here's what I imagine God is doing. God the Father in heaven is doing this. In 1 Peter, he calls all of us in here who have trusted Jesus Christ a stone, a rock, that he's carving us into his Son who's seated at his right hand. So this is what I think he's doing. He's looking at his Son and looking at us. He's looking at his son, the king, and he's looking at us, and he's going, kink, 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 kink. And for some of us, y'all, we're a little bit hard-headed, so he's got to go, kink, kink, kink. We lose our job. We go through hardships. We go through breakups. We go through heartache. We get a new job. We get a promotion. We become parents. We get married. And God begins to form us and shape us. And that's what God is doing. The good that's talked about is that is in the midst of suffering. God the Father, the Father is working on us. He's conforming us into the image of Christ. And that word image is a Greek word icon. He's making us icons of Jesus Christ so that we would be the second born. Jesus Christ is the first born. And so that God's plan is this. God gets great glory when little Jesus are running around greater Houston. And so if the world is wondering... If the world is wondering this, what does it look like if Jesus Christ is in sales? What does it look like if Jesus Christ is selling cars or selling furniture? What does it look like? And tomorrow morning, a little Jesus shows up in the showroom. What does it look like for a coach or an athlete if Jesus was on the field or Jesus was a coach? What does it look like for Jesus to be a coach or to be an athlete? And tomorrow morning, a little Jesus shows up in the locker room. What does it look like for a lawyer or a judge to be a little Jesus and tomorrow morning, you know what's going to happen? A little Jesus is going to show up in the courtroom. What does it look like when a CEO or a CFO or a general manager is a little Jesus and tomorrow morning a little Jesus is going to show up in the boardroom? What does it look like when a spouse, a husband or a wife is a little Jesus and tonight a little Jesus is going to show up in the bedroom, right? And so that's God's plan. From God's perspective, from a 30,000 spiritual perspective, the good that he's, not, that he's talking about is not you breaking up with a boyfriend, going to the impact conference and meeting the man of your dreams. It's not losing your job and waiting in unemployment. You meet somebody and you start a business and now you're a multimillionaire. That's not the good. Now, could that happen? Sure, it could happen. God could do that. But the good he's talking about is in God's great plan is that he gets great glory when a little Jesus running around in the courtroom, in the boardroom, in the living room, in the classroom, in the locker room. But notice this. He says this in the plan of God. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined. So here's the thing. If, if you were the, always the one who's last picked in elementary school, last picked for kickball, last picked for basketball, A God who does not need anybody. A God who does not need anything. If you have trusted Jesus, you can know this. He picked you. He chose you. A God who doesn't need anybody, want anybody, long for, he doesn't need any of us. He's got all by himself. And yet out of the sea of the mass of those who are condemned, he chose you. He says, and these whom he predestined, those who he picked, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. He declared totally righteous based on their faith in Jesus. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, notice this. I've been playing a lot of verbs. He he, he intercedes. The Spirit intercedes. Present tense. He intercedes. Present tense. God's working all these things together. He's working all this stuff together. Present tense. God's always working. But now in verses 29 and 30, he goes all in the past tense. He foreknew you. He predestined you. He called you. He justified you. But notice at the end of verse 30, he says he also glorified. I'm tripping on this. Is there anybody in here that's already died and gone to glory? Anybody in here died and gone to glory? Right? I don't think anybody in here has. This is what God does. God is so certain that you and I will get to glory. Glory that you can bank on his promises that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life, or eternal life, that he puts even glorified in the past tense. Even though it has not happened yet, he puts it in the past tense because he says, you can bank on it, you can count on me. If you've been foreknown, if you've been predestined, if you've been called, and now you've been justified, if you've experienced those four things, even though you have not died yet, You can bank on the fact that you will be in glory one day because it's on God's uh, character and God's nature. God is a promise keeping God. Many years ago uh, when I pastored uh, and Pierre did an internship at the church I was pastoring, we had a community groups pastor, small groups pastor, and his his English grammar wasn't very good. And he would say this. I would say to him, hey, you know what? I've got a couple and they have some marital difficulties they're going through. Next Monday, can you counsel them? Can you meet with them and counsel them? And he would answer, done. Now here's the thing, English grammar. If you are asked to do something in the future, the proper answer is, I will do it. But he would always answer, done. Here's the thing. And then I would say, hey, you know what, the Christmas service is coming up. Can you go pick up the poinsettias and set them up across the front of the stage? It's coming up in like two weeks. Can you do that? And he would say, done. I said, "Uh, your English grammar is not very good. I'm asking you to do something in the future, and you're already answering it in the past tense. This is what he was saying to me. You can count on my character so much that I can say it's already completed, even though it hasn't happened yet. And that's what God is saying to us, even though. Glorification has not happened yet. You can count on the character and nature of God that is going to happen. So he puts it in the past tense. God's English grammar is not very good, but his character is amazing. Aren't you thankful for that? Last point, last point here. In verses 31 through 39, Uh, let me mention this before I, I sit down um, the qualifications he leaves in verse 29 he says uh, verse 28 if those who love God and those who are called the corners purpose again love God means you are now entered in a relationship with him through faith 1 John 419 we love because he first loved us you recognize God loved you now in your relationship with him and you're called the corners' purpose again the purpose is not becoming a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor or missions the purpose is verses 29 and 30. And so here's what I find. And this is why it's important to have time in God's word. It's important to pursue Jesus. We're formed by who we follow. We look like who we love. We become who we behold. We are patterned into who we pursue, and we are transformed into who we trust, and we are shaped into who we serve. So pursue him, love him. And here's the thing that happens, and I'll wrap up. Verses 31 through 39. You can write this down. In the midst of suffering and trials, I don't know about you, I question God's love for me. When I go through difficult seasons in life, I question God's love for me. So here's the last point. Verses 31 through 39, in the midst of suffering, the Son loves us. The Son loves us. The Son loves us. Don't ever forget that. It may not feel like God loves you. It may not feel like that's there, but remember, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Verse 31 says, if God is for us, who is against us? That word is, in your translation should be in italics, because there is no verb there. Literally, it's not even if. It should be like since or because. Because God for you, who against you? That's how it should read, or for us. Because God for us, who against us, is what it should say. So if you ever wonder in the midst of struggles and trials, challenges in your marriage... You've just lost a job. You've lost a loved one. Is God for me? That's also in the present tense. You can always bank on it that God is for you. God loves you and he's for you as his child. So in the midst of suffering, the son loves us. God is for you and he loves you. So again, the good is not my best life now. The good is you becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God works synergistically all things together. The bad things, the microaggressions, the loss of jobs, the blessings, the promotions, having kids, fostering kids, getting married, getting a new job, graduating, getting turned down from the college of your dreams. He synergistically works all those things together to form you, to conform you, to become more like Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning I got up, as I do every morning, I spent time initially in the Bible, Scripture. After that, uh, I go for a run. So I'm not a big coffee drinker, so I, I'm, I think, addicted to endorphins, so I go for a run every morning. After I get home from my run, I don't mean to brag, y'all, so please, please don't take this as a brag. But I'm a smoothie master. I've been making smoothies now for as long as I've been saved, 34 years. And so every morning for breakfast, I make a smoothie. Now, let me tell you about what I put into my smoothie. It may make some of you uncomfortable. So I start with blueberries. Now, blueberries that are not sweetened in pie or whatever are very sour. So I start with frozen blueberries, which are very sour. And then I will add some ice cubes, which are both cold and hard. And the base I use, the base liquid, is turmeric tea. Now, turmeric is what they use to make curry. So turmeric is both bitter and spicy. So I put that in there, and I sweeten it with monk fruit. Now, if you've ever seen monk fruit, monk fruit looks like rotten carrots. So I'm adding something that looks like rotten carrot, something that's cold, sour, hard, and bitter into this mix. In it, I add two scoops of pea protein, which is basically tasteless and gritty. And then I add some greens powder, which has all these vegetables. It's got like two servings of vegetable, and it tastes also bitter and kind of grassy. I put that in, and then I put about maybe two dozen whole almonds in there. So I put some nuts in there. And finally, the thing that you all are waiting for, I top it off with about two tablespoons of raw honey. So here's the thing. I take all those disparate ingredients, sour things, bitter things, hard things, cold things, gritty things, even sweet things, mix them all together synergistically in this blender because as a smoothie master, I have a vision of what this smoothie is going to be. And I mix all those things together synergistically in my blender. And this is what comes out, a delicious smoothie that's not only good tasting, but also good forming. And you know as I thought about that, that's what God does with us. God takes the hard things in your life. He takes the sour things in your life. He takes the bitter things in your life. He takes the cold things in your life. He takes racism. He takes a loss of job. He takes all these things, and he takes the sweet things in your life, and he synergistically blends them because he has a vision for your life. And that vision for your life is to look more like Jesus Christ. Living Word family, what's good? The good is being conformed day by day through the hard stuff the sickness, the losses, the wins, the suffering, the promotions, and make you more like our great God and King, Jesus Christ.
2: Folks, I'm gonna ask, uh, I was gonna come up and encourage you to take this challenge But I believe that God has used Pastor Soma to touch your life today. So let us stand, and I'm going to ask Pastor Soma if he would lead you to wherever God wants to take you today in your commitment
1: and your growth in Christ. Theological message, a very theological message. A lot of Greek, a lot of verbs and all that. But I don't want to make light of suffering and difficulties. If I could be honest with you, I'm there right now. This was really a sermon for me that you all were just eavesdropping on. So if you need prayer, I'm going to ask right now, if you just come forward, just to the front here and space yourself out accordingly. If you say, I'm going through a difficult season in life right now, I just want you to come forward right here and I will pray for you. If you'd be bold enough before your church family, it's I need prayer. I am going through the suffering. I'm in the midst of that suffering right now. and I need to trust God and pursue God like I've never trusted Him before. Trust that He has a plan for me, that He's making me more like Jesus. Through your tears and through your pain, that you would trust Him. Come on forward. There's a sign of just submission to Him. If you just raise your hands in the air, but also receive as well, just raise your hand in the air to Him. And allow me to pray. Master, you see these hands raised, these people who've come forward, these saints who've come forward, your children, and thank you that the Holy Spirit is constantly making intercession, praying on behalf of us, and especially when we're suffering, especially when we're experiencing the brokenness and pain of our own lives in this world. So God, would you meet these saints, your children, in a very unique and special way that they would sense your presence right now, that you are for them, that you love them. They would simply open up the pages of scripture and remember that Jesus Christ gave his life as proof, as a picture that you love them. God, I pray that day by day, that you would shape us, form us, conform us, morph us into Jesus Christ through the spirit of Jesus Christ who now dwells in us. God, would you minister to these precious saints in a special way, meet them where they are. God, if there is a loss of a job, if there is challenges financially, if there's challenges in parenting or marriage, God, would you be their answer? Would you be their hope? Would you be their king and their Lord? Would you be their strength? Would you be their hope, God, we pray. God, we trust you to blend all these things synergistically, the hard things, the cold things, the bitter things, the painful things, the joyous things, the happy things, and to conform us more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray, and all God's people say.
2: Before you go back, one second, one second, one second. Before Before you go back, 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 God, uh, I love the journey that Pastor Soma talked about and that he put himself in. It. It's a journey to become like Christ. And you got to put in the time. Okay? It just doesn't happen like a snap. I wish it would. It's a character development process, you got to stay through trials. You can't run in trials. You got to figure out what are you wanting me to do, God? I've tried my best to model that as your pastor in this pandemic. All right, God, there's a pandemic out there. It's pandemic, but what do you want us to do in it? Because nowhere in trials do you run. You work your way through it. That's how he refines you. That's what he's saying. So whatever trial you're in, Your question is, God, what do you want for me to do with it? You may not be able to change the person, but Pastor Soma said, God can change you. So I want you, I plead with you as your pastor, get involved in the young adult ministry. Get involved in Life App so that you could learn the process. He talked about that. Learn the process. I wish You could come to church and put an hour and a half in and it snapped. Oh, God, that would be great for me. It's a lot less work. But it doesn't work that way. So I'm asking you in the name of Jesus. Give God a chance. You give a school a chance to get you a degree. They put you through school. They make you take those classes. They make you go through the process. You go to a doctor. They make you go through a process. Would you give God the same time? I ask you that. So where we have our young adult ministry, our life app classes, getting and coming in church and finding a way to serve, I ask that you would do that. Okay? So now I just want you to take a minute and pray and talk to God. That God, I want to have the character of Christ. Would you teach me the process that Pastor Solomon is saying? "Just, Just give me one minute. Just, just lower your head. I don't know why I feel compelled to do this that was a great sermon not saying that just because he's a friend of my son and I respect him and his family and the ministry that God has done through him today and he's been doing through him but it is it is a very good sermon, it's a very good challenge so bow your head and tell God what am I going to do when you start to do this work in me what am I going to submit to What am I willing to let you guide me through? First place, just so I can help you a little bit in case you don't know what to pray. God, I will not run in trials. If you feel like telling God that, tell him that. God, when trials come, I'm going to ask you for your way through the trial. i help you. Here's the second thing. God, I'm going to make being in church a mission because that's your classroom for me there's a third thing God Pastor Soma said he gets up in the morning uh, he should put some bluebell rather than blueberries but that's okay but uh he said he, he spent time in the what? in the word right? he modeled it God I commit to spend time studying your word. Great book to start off with is First and Second John. That's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first, Second John. a great place to just just sit there. I don't understand nothing. That's okay. Just sit there. He'll explain it. He's your teacher. Could you commit at least those three things? Could you do that today? Dear God? Please drive them to your cross because you've sustained them to become like you. So that one day when they meet you, you meet yourself in them. In Jesus' name, amen.